Hey, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, Julie and Lisa. Welcome to our speaker series edition on our podcast. Today we welcome Mary M. from the Saturday Morning Women's Big Book Discussion in St. Petersburg. Good morning, everybody. So happy to be here at the AA Solution Seekers Beginners Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Mary. I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad I know that today. It gives me the start to every day, uh, the opportunity to uh, to have a life. Um, I'm so happy to see everybody today. Thanks for showing up this early in the morning. This is what I do. It's part of two things that make my sobriety um, worthwhile, which is connection and consistency. Uh, the consistency of showing up every day to a meeting is what's made a difference to me. Uh, I like coming to a 7 a.m. meeting. My home group uh, uh, online is out of Columbus, Ohio. First things first. Yay! 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. And on Saturday and Sunday, I get to come to a checkup from the neck up and then today the solution seekers. So I try to make a meeting every day in the morning at 7 a.m. to to get that checkup from the neck up to get my uh, head on right. And uh, I'm just glad to see some friends here today. And um, so uh, I started this program in uh, 1998. Um, and um, on June 21st, I'll be celebrating 16 years. So do the math somewhere along the line. I, I lost track of things. I drank again in 2007 after 10 years. So um, my story will reveal how uh, you can uh, slip slide away from this program pretty easily and lose track. But uh, it is uh, the consistency and the connection that keeps me moving forward. I, I come from a long line of alcoholics. I'm part of the CIA, the Catholic Irish Alcoholics. Um, my family was always drinking. Uh, that's how we coped with things. I grew up in a family where um, every day they had uh, highballs and um, wine with dinner. And um, from, from the age of seven, I was having wine if I wanted it. I didn't know any better. Um, and that's the thing is I didn't know any better. Um, I was first introduced to AA in, uh, in a treatment center for depression. I have uh, coped with depression since I was five years old, probably, if not earlier, that's when I first recognized it, uh, that I was playing Little Mary Sunshine. And um, I, um, I, fit, uh, I fit a lot of the parameters of alcoholism. I, I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt different than I felt on the edge. Um, uh, you know, and that kind of terminal uniqueness will kill me if I don't uh, connect with you and find out how I'm not any different, how we're how we're all very much similar. And um, it's encouraging to me because if I see that uh, that the problems we share are similar, that I'm not unique, then the solution applies to me too. And I am a solution seeker. Um, so uh, I qualify as an alcoholic. I came from alcoholism. Uh, my brothers drank 24 hours a day. My my dad was a, a, a drinker. They had a, a bottle under the kitchen sink that had the skull and crossbones on it. I think they knew something was going on there. Um, I was a, what you call a late in life baby. I was unexpected, I think, 10 years after my, my brothers. So um, <clears throat> my family was a little bit older. My mom was 41 when she had me. And I think the, 
the disease of alcoholism had progressed in her by that point. She, uh, she also had depression. My, my family was very uh, isolated. My father uh, was a paraplegic uh, World War II veteran, Purple Heart, and uh, no one came and went from the house. We were, we were not the party crowd. We were the um, isolated intellectuals. And, um, you know, I think that's why connection is so important to me today consistency and connection because uh, isolation is what'll keep me sick. So uh, uh, qualifying for this, you know, my friend Rita is on here. She looks like iPhone, but that's because she's on her way to work today. Um, we we drank together in high school. We, we, we partied and uh, my first blackout happened near the Skyway Bridge, uh, the infamous Skyway Bridge on Tampa Bay. We took a big cooler, uh, filled it up with Slurpees and a couple bottles of 151 and headed out for a night of revelry. And we ended up down at the uh, Bishop Planetarium uh, Pink Floyd show, which is celebrating 50 years on uh, the Pink Floyd album and went to a, a, a laser light show. What fun. But the problem is, is I blacked out in the middle of it and woke up uh, yelling at somebody behind me who obviously was not meeting my expectations, they were talking, and I got carried out of the Bishop Planetarium. So that would have been a clue that I had alcoholism, that and the family um, disease. Um, I also uh, didn't recognize that I had it every day, even though I used to travel to school in a car full of uh, pot smokers. At the time, we were lighting up the weed and we'd open the doors of the car and the smoke would billow out at the school. But I didn't realize I had uh, alcoholism. Uh, it just seemed like fish and water. It just seemed normal at the time. That's how we coped. Um, I went into my first uh, treatment center in uh, 1986 for depression. Um, I was surrounded by heroin addicts and alcoholics and I still thought I was different. I, I didn't I didn't understand that the components of the disease uh, centers in my mind that uh, that I have an allergy and a compulsion. Uh, once I pick up a drink, um, I'm required to drink. I become a slave. Uh, I didn't really understand that until 10 years into sobriety. Um, uh, I think what's made the difference, and, and I want to talk about that, is that um, I got into the doctor's opinion. I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to waste time in the big book. I would go straight into the doctor's opinion and read that. And, and you know, I had a 26-year-old sponsor when I came back and she was on fire for the program. She was a member of uh, the 2250 group here in St. Petersburg, which is a hard-hitting big book-based uh, hardcore group. And she took me right into the doctor's opinion and had me underline uh, each part of that chapter and how it applied to me. And for the first time in my life, I saw myself, I saw I was doomed <laughs> that, that I had an allergy and a compulsion from which I had no relief except through a spiritual awakening. And um, she, she took me deeper into the steps that and more about alcoholism is what turned the tide on my sobriety and, and made all the difference. In, in the 10 years prior, I had a home group. I still have this home group that I go to where we read the big book every Saturday. It's a woman's group. And I highly recommend that. Uh, the big book keeps us centered in the program. It keeps us from getting into he, shed, he said, she said, shares. Try to say that three times fast at 7 a.m., but, um, you know, I, all that time reading the big book, I still didn't get that 
I didn't get the, the, the gravity of alcoholism, what I'm up against. And I think today it's important for me to know too, that I don't know what I'm up against. I don't know how bad it could get. I got an inkling. I've heard enough stories um, to know what happens to people that don't go to meetings. And, um, but you know, I can be at a meeting and not be at a meeting. Um, I'm a multitasker. This is the first time I've sat down for your meeting. I'm usually driving my dog to the park. Um, but I, I need to be fully present to the awareness that uh, alcoholism is a disease that centers in my mind and that it, that it takes many, um, many faces and facets. Um, for me, I need to pray for the relief from self-pity today. I need to uh, admit to my innermost self that I'm powerless over alcohol and that my life is unmanageable. My life got unmanageable just a couple of days ago. Um, luckily, I had set some things into, uh, into, um, into force that, that helped ground me back to the program. And this is what I did when I came back in, in in 2007. I became white on rice on the newcomer. I read that more about alcoholism and I read uh, doctor's opinion and it, it applied to me. White on rice on the newcomer meant that every time a newcomer is in a meeting, I am on them and I'm getting them to talk. Uh, I want to hear their story. I want them to uh, I want them to feel at home. I want them to have the freedom that I've been given uh, most of all. But uh, I go up to the newcomer and I crack that oyster open. I get them talking. You know, I'm not running my mouth. I'm, I'm hearing from them. Uh, you know, how'd you find us? Uh, are you working? Are you driving? Um, what brought you here? What's the difference this time if they're a retread? And um, I think my... Um, my, uh, I wouldn't call it a slip in 2007 when I picked up a drink. Um, I'd call it a suicidal mission, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a slip because I drank again. Let's fucking face it. When I pick up a drink, my mission is to get messed up. It's not casual for me. I'm there to obliterate. And that's how it was for me at the end. Um, the two, um, the two times I came into the program, I was at the bitter end you know, the jumping off place. Um, I was so shattered. This disease uh, destroys my um, entire relationship to the world. Uh, I was, uh, I was left with two choices, bush or bud. Um, uh, all I could do was drink 24 hours a day and pass out. It, it wasn't glamorous. There was no chandelier swinging. I was, <laughs> I was curled up in the corner in a dark room. I couldn't even love my dog. You know, uh, I, I, I couldn't answer the phone. Um, I hated myself. I, I hated reality. I had no coping skills and I was forced to drink. I was under the physical compulsion of having to drink. Um, yeah, now I got a pal who helps keep me sober and happy. Um, you know, I, I had been in that treatment center in 1986 and there was this young woman with blonde hair and she was, she was looking savvy and she handed me this little slip of uh, a little sticky note and it had her name christy call me aa if you want to go to aa and i'm like wow she's really cool she's got it together and i held on to that little sticky note and i called aa and um i was still drinking you know and uh the woman at the other end of the phone was like well honey you know when you're ready to stop and uh I went to my first meeting. Um, it was called Language of the Heart. I still remember picking up a white chip, and uh, but I wasn't ready. And uh, I almost compared myself out of that meeting. You know, at, 
which is what I'd done in, 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 in 86 when I first was introduced. This was 98. This took another 12 years before I could um, recognize that I had alcoholism. And um, I picked up a white chip and it, it didn't stick, you know, and uh, I, I was still drinking. And so then uh, about two weeks later, I went to a 7 a.m. and um, and surrendered there. I'm not sure what what the magic uh, equation was of that day being the day that I could stop. But um, I do know that it was the connection to the people in the room and uh, the coincidence that happened. There were three people in that room that had been part of my life outside of that room. One was in publishing. Um, one was from my martial arts dojo. What's the likelihood? And the third one had uh, 12 stepped to my father. So um, he was also a paraplegic and he ran that meeting and he, uh, he brought me in. He let me, uh, he let me empty the Pepsi, Pepsi machine and fill the Pepsi machine. And he gave me a job in service that uh, made me feel useful. Um, I used to go to that 7 a.m. and just uh, quiver with anxiety. And uh, it was a round robin meeting. They, they read from the um, 24 hours a day book and they let us share. And so everybody shared um, in, in the meeting for a few minutes and uh, you know, they listened to me and uh, I needed to talk as a newcomer. I'd been so isolated by this disease that uh, I just needed to run my mouth and all the brain salad and gibberish. They just, <laughs> they just embraced me until I, until I could be part of, and that was so important. And, you know, um, in the promises, that feeling of uselessness is what uh, had plagued me since I was uh, a child, you know, feeling separate from you, feeling different from you, uh, and then that feeling of uselessness. And so they let me be part of that meeting. Um, but, you know, uh, all the meetings in the parking lot weren't enough, I guess, because somehow by 2007, uh, after several more depressions, I became suicidal and uh, I forgot everything you taught me. Um, I, I forgot about all the pots and pans you'd given me and uh, hand me down clothes and just time. You'd given me your time out in the parking lot after the meeting. And um, I, uh, I, I had reached that uh, place at 10 years of sobriety. And this is, this is critical because you look in the rooms and you see a lot of newcomers. You see a lot of pink cloud. God bless you. <laughs> Not that I'm jealous, but, uh, and you see people with 40 years. And then there's this big gap in the middle at 10 years. What happens to people? Is it that life got so great that we uh, put, let what uh, AA gave us uh, take us away from AA? Maybe. But I also think that for me, I know that my uh, growth in AA, my ability to be out in the world, I hadn't kept up with my spiritual uh, program of development. I hadn't gotten enough tools or skills to deal with life on life's terms. And I, I forgot and I started to get resentful and I started to feel self-pity. You know, resentment is the number one offender. And so in 2007, at 10 years of sobriety, I was driving across the Skyway Bridge, the same place that I had gone to have my first blackout. And, um, you know, I was uh, paying a dollar each way. Six bucks, man. Six bucks of driving back and forth, deciding whether I was going to jump or not. You know, uh, the insanity had taken hold. Uh, I um, 
And then for some reason, I pulled over at a sit-go and, and bought a case of beer. There was no premeditation. They talk about that strange mental blank spot. Um, I hadn't intended to drink. I, I, uh, I, I had intended to kill myself. I'd thought about many ways. And um, I'm glad I chickened out because uh, I chickened out because, um, because I knew that most people that try to jump off the skyway end up just in a, in a quad chair blowing through a straw uh, living in a nursing home. They don't, they don't die. I mean, there's a lot worse going on here in alcoholism than, uh, than dying. That would have been a relief, you know, and that's, that's the insanity at 10 years after all I'd been given the freedoms I'd been given. Um, you know, wow. It took over me and it took over me in isolation. Um, and it took over me in depression. So, uh, um, it's important that I, uh, I'm high maintenance, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Stradivarius. I'm not a fiddle. It takes a lot to, to keep this boat afloat. You know, um, it's important today that I recognize that my mental health, you know, uh, and alcoholism is a mental illness. It's in the DSM five. We know this, um, you know, those, those two with grave emotional and mental disorders. Hey, look in the mirror there's one of them you know i mean uh, i gotta treat the alcoholism and the depression um mm, high maintenance but worth it um so uh, i think the the tide that turned in, in 2007 when i almost jumped but i didn't and picked up a drink was uh it was it was terrifying to go out and drink again uh I had the knowledge of the program, a, a weekly big book meeting, a sponsor. I had sponsees and I still picked up a drink. That's effing nuts. Um, so what I did is I doubled down. I, I cleaned the tables at 2250, um, not out of no nobility, but out of desperation. You know, uh, I remember I remember uh, sitting on the couch after I drank again and um and trying not to go to the Walgreens, you know, that that awful dread of knowing that you were driven to drink. Um, I was experiencing the physical compulsion, you know, and uh, and I prayed to a God that after 10 years, I still hadn't really developed a relationship with, I guess, you know, but uh, somehow I was relieved of the compulsion and I got enough days together and you can, too, that I didn't have to drink. I had to get away from that. I ended up checking myself into the hospital. Not that the answer was there, but the survival was there because I couldn't take the antidepressants right. And uh, I was afraid I would um, not be able to stay sober. So, you know, whatever it takes. I've been hospitalized nine times for depression. And what finally I recognized was alcoholism, you know, um, it took me 10 years to really figure out that I was an alcoholic. I mean, that's going to meetings every day. Talk about the, the level of denial that can happen in a program. So uh, sitting on that couch, praying to a God of my ununderstanding. And, um, you know, today uh, I try to keep God in my consciousness. You know, um, uh, I don't have a, a God that I can define. It's, uh, it's way bigger than me. Uh, I, I think it would be arrogant for me to try to understand. I just try to be conscious of God's uh, action in my life. A um, couple of things that I do is uh, I do an alphabetical gratitude list. Um, when I swim, I I think about uh, AA and Al-Anon and uh, having arms, you know, and then I go to B 
beach. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I just use simple tools like that to keep me back in gratitude. I do know that, that it's an action too. So I take meetings into uh, a treatment center and uh, I've got two newcomers with 90 days going into this treatment center uh, on, uh, in the middle of the month. And, um, and I'm going to speak the next day. I'm, at a, at a, at a place that, that has been there for me, I'm able to be there for others today. And, uh, you know, that feeling of uselessness can be cured by taking action. Uh, I have to take action. I've got, um, a bunch of newcomers that I gather their phone number and I text them and, um, I stay in contact with them. Uh, thank God for that. Um, I have taken my phone and just scrolled through all the names in my phone so that I can think about other people instead of being wrapped around my own axle. Ah, that is the scourge of alcoholism, drinking or not, is being so wrapped around my own little world. So how do I get out of that? It, it's a physical action. Ah, here's a trick. People don't call me back is what I hear a lot. You know, well, no one answers the phone anymore, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> And when you text someone, ask them if they know a good show on Netflix, you will get an answer. So <laughs> that'll start open the door. That'll crack that oyster open so that you can have a conversation and get out of your own head. These are the tricks and tools I use. Um, I still go to my woman's big book meeting every week, Saturday at 10 a.m. that I can when I'm not working. Um, go to a Zoom meeting every morning at, at 7 a.m. to reset my thinking. Uh, I... I um, I joined our sister program, Al-Anon, about 17 years ago, and uh, this has been the cherry on top. I was afraid of Al-Anon. I thought that they were going to shame me. I thought they were going to make me feel worse about myself. And, you know, um, being shattered by alcoholism, uh, coming into these rooms, you know, being beat down by this disease. Uh, I I had the self-esteem of an ant. Uh, you know, and I, I was afraid Al-Anon would make me feel worse about myself. But what it did is it, it helped peel back those layers of the onion. It helped me heal the family uh, uh, correlation I had to the disease relationship I had. It helped me. Uh, it helped me sit on a couch and cry my guts out until I uh, until I went through um, the loss that this disease causes. You know, I think. Uh, a, a lot of the sadness I experienced uh, as a child was that that alcoholism takes my loved ones away from me. You know, you, you know, you you guys disappear when you when you drink again. You you leave me. It's it's an abandonment that happens at a at a deep level. You know, uh, I've had um, my whole family disappear. You know, to be in the same room. Talk about being a football widow. I used to watch the Notre Dame game. Uh, Catholic Irish alcoholic, and they would disappear. They'd no longer be there. Alcoholism took everybody I love. Um, they might still be physically present to me in the world, but you know that when they start repeating, they start repeating and, you know, you, you go out to a party and people start getting drunk and they're gone. It's, it's, it's a loss that I've had to heal in myself. I've done that through Al-Anon. Uh, I go there because, um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's attraction, not promotion, but um, I go there because I live with an alcoholic 24 hours a day and, and because I love you. I love you guys in AA. And, and uh, so how do I live with you? You know, <laughs> I need more tools. I keep seeking new tools. Um, 
the tools that keep me grounded, including uh, a daily exercise program. That's essential. Um, I try to stay away from sugar, man. I'm addicted to sugar. I I just keep going back for that extra cookie. You know, I got to be careful of that. And uh, I think that applies at any stage of uh, recovery is to continue to maintain not just the spiritual condition, but the physical condition. The tools I'm using today um, now have become routine. Uh, consistency and connection is what keeps me sober today. Um, I I have an Al-Anon sponsor. I don't have an AA sponsor right now. I need to get one. Um, what's the holdup? I've always had one. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's obviously ego. Usually that's what's ever getting in my way of moving forward in this program. Um, a relationship to a higher power. How do you develop that? Um, I did a lot of yoga there for a long time. Uh, I really loved it. Um, I get on my knees in the morning. Uh, I ask to be useful. It's a simple prayer. Uh, I thank God and I stay in gratitude. Sometimes during the day I have to uh, reroute it and I use that alphabetical trick to uh, to get my mind back on track. Um, I talk to the newcomer, you know, because that is me. I talked to a woman yesterday. She was lost. You know, she uh, she had nowhere to turn. She didn't know about us. Uh, I- I'm lucky I have alcoholism and that I recognize it because I have a, a group of people I can go to anywhere in the world who understand me and uh, who hear me. You know, I-, I can bring myself to a meeting no matter just like the yoga mat, no matter where I'm coming from, where I'm at. You know, I've never looked better and more dressed up and put together than when I'm at my worst. So when you see that woman in the meeting and you think, oh man, she's got it all going on. It might be that she's having the most difficult day of her life. You know, um, I value being able to go to a meeting and being able to share exactly where I'm going, uh, coming from. And that's the honesty of the first step. Um, the insanity in the second step can take over at any time, you know, uh, uh, I'm not immune against the first drink, you know, no matter how much time I have. Um, the third step, I got to turn to a higher power, something bigger than me. You know, I get out in nature a lot. Um, recognition of God working in my life. I changed my um, phone number on my phone to say hopeful, tangible evidence of God working in my life. I got to keep reorienting, reorienting away from me and away and out to you and out to a higher power. Fourth step. I use a fourth step. I used a fourth step the other day on my relationship with my ex-fiance. I don't know what to do there. Um, I knew that resentment is, is always going to be the number one offender for me. I better get that shit out or it'll eat me alive. I can't afford it. Uh, I turned the, uh, <laughs> the mirror down in my car so I don't have those road rage arguments with the people behind me you know those conversations you have in your car with those other drivers um i can't afford resentment uh fifth step i got to get real with somebody i i share with uh those newcomers that i'm that i'm plagued by self-pity the other day i was under the assault of self-pity you know i i connect with my sponsor i text her and call her when needed um 
I stay in the literature. Uh, you know, am I ready for God to remove these character defects? No, I'm still practicing a lot of them. You know, I'm still practicing isolation and self-will run riot. And But I recognize it today. And I recognize it from that inventory in the fourth step. You know, uh, uh, I got to be willing to make amends. You know, um, the two uh, valuable phrases that have helped me stay on the beam is um, I don't know. And I made a mistake. You know, I can go to somebody and say, I made a mistake today. I can take responsibility for my uh, actions. I can make amends. I can do the physical amends. And um, and that works for me. Uh, prayer and meditation. Um, step 11. I mostly practice at walking out in nature, I think. Um, I, I need a stronger program of prayer probably uh that wouldn't hurt and uh 12 carrying this message to others uh it's essential for me to um give it away uh they always told me that you guys never lied to me everything you told me has been true you know um yeah there's a lot of bs in the meetings take what you want and read the and leave the rest but uh you guys have always given me a truth and a freedom it's all i ever wanted was freedom and uh today um how is it today I, i've been able to pursue my goals um i wanted to get into music and uh so i did what you do you get a sponsor <laughs> i got a mentor rest his soul he was a um best of the beaches performer here in st pete florida and uh he took me under his wing and it all started from an aa um open mic night and it all started from a uh a woman's retreat where I um, started inviting people over to my house to play music. And now I play music as a professional. Um, uh, I, I'm a writer. I, uh, I had written several books uh, when I came into the program, but I couldn't read the big book, you know? So what good was that? I needed to be able to get into the big book to get some freedom. Um, today, I've got three more books that have come out and uh I'm, I'm working on one uh right now uh, i try to try to keep my mind occupied you know um i never thought i would clean houses i i thought i was too good for that frankly and um now it's one of the best things i do to earn money it, it gives me the balance from the emotional outlay of being a performer so um who knows what's best for you i've stayed with aa long enough to um be okay with the i don't know and to look for uh, God's action in my life where, um, you know, even if I'm late for a meeting, I, I, I try to see that as an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody in the parking lot that's afraid to come in. You know, can I be there for that newcomer? Can I just bridge the gap for them and welcome them like, I, like you welcomed me? Um, you know, I, I got kind of a sense of humor today, finally. Uh, trying not to take myself too seriously. You know, you taught me that rule 62. Um, can I show up for life today? Uh, I, I've been able to get engaged and get unengaged. You know, I've been able to develop friendships that I've, that I've had for 23 years. People that uh, taught me how to give out my chips at the first meeting that I, that I gave out the chips at, you know, people that are strong in my life that I can turn to, but I got to turn to them and be honest and be real. Um, I've got to tell you where I'm coming from. Today's going to be a good day. 
I get to uh, go to the park and then I'm going to go clean a Airbnb house and uh, then I'm going to go sing at the Marriott. Woo! And uh, <laughs> I can laugh today. Um, uh, you've given me everything. How do I repay you? Um, I think I've shared the tools that work for me. I'd love to hear from you. I'm grateful to be able to share and uh, I'm grateful for my friends, the long-term friends. Um, my party buddy who came into this uh, program three years ago is here today. And uh, uh, there's freedom to be had. You just got to do a few simple things every effing day, consistency, and stay connected. And uh, all things are possible. Um, thank you so much for letting me share. My name's Mary. I'm an alcoholic. Oh. In the soon-to-be infamous words of Mary M. from Florida, you just have to do a few simple things every effing day, and freedom is possible. Thanks for joining us on Two Sober Chicks, Mary. We appreciate you. Have a great 24.